It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is Brian Damage Forsyth from Kicks. The group will be performing along with Slaughter in the Club at the Cannery Casino Saturday, March 12th at 8 p.m. For ticket information, go to cannerycasino.com. And for everything about Kicks, go to kicksband.com and brianforsyth.com. And you can follow the band on Twitter at KicksTheBand, on Facebook at OfficialKicks, and on Instagram at KicksBand. And Brian, welcome to the show. Ah, thanks for having me. How old were you when you realized, okay, I'm going to become a musician? Um, yeah, I was, I was six years old when I saw uh, the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. And that's when I decided that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, it was just the influence of the Beatles. Did you ever meet the Beatles at, at somewhere along your career? I have not. I, I've met a couple of the guys in, uh, in Paul McCartney's band, but I've never met any Beatles. <laughs> that is amazing, given your long career and the band's long career. I'm surprised that somewhere along the line, you guys just didn't meet up somewhere, either at a gig or some ceremony or something. You would think, but there there are several of my like idol musicians that I haven't met yet. So, who are some of the other ones? Uh, well, the main one is Keith Richards, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I've had that. some I've had some close calls, but it, it never worked out. I've never met him, so. Ah, too bad. Who Of all the groups and all the people that you know and have been influenced by, who had the most influence on you? Well, there's several. Um, as far as like guitar players, um, well, Keith Richards is one, but he's also like a style influence too. Um, you know, the hair and all that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But as far as guitar players, there's a wide variety because I, I, I like a lot of different styles, anywhere from like country to hard rock to blues um, to even like, um, like funk music. I love, I love that style. Um, but some of the main ones were uh, like Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top is a big one. Dickie Betts. Um, uh, Angus Young came along a little bit later, but uh, Eric Clapton was an early one. Of course, Chuck Berry. That's how I started. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of them along the way, and there and there's a you know in different styles, there's different ones too. And in country, there's there's uh, I mean, I remember hearing uh, well, like Buck Owens' his band in the early days on Hee Haw. You know, that kind of thing always influenced me. And, of course, the Beatles. But it's, it's weird because the Beatles were more of a group influence, as you know, in, in not, not real individual influences. And it was the sound and the look and just the whole gestalt of them. Yeah, and I think I was so young, I, I didn't really pick out the individual pieces of it. I just saw the whole picture and it was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and the band have had ups and downs over the years. What what keeps you guys going? And what are the challenges for touring at this point after, I wouldn't say post-COVID, but certainly the effects of COVID have been reduced. So you're, you're out touring again. 
So what are the challenges of touring? And then I want to talk a little bit about the album as well, of course, and your appearance at the cannery. Uh, well, currently, the challenges of, of, of touring are, uh, well, the one thing is you, you can't really plan. You have to be ready to change your plans at the last minute because you never know what is coming or what's going to happen. So, you know, I put stuff on the calendar, but I don't like swear by it. <laughs> and that, that's, yeah. really, that's really the big thing. I have to be able to go with the flow these days. <laughs> yeah, I heard you talk uh, about you were getting used to being home uh, when COVID was around. And it just, you not that you had to force yourself to go out there and do it again, but you were got so used to being comfortable not having to tour. Yeah. Right. Well, that's, it's, I think that's, that goes for pretty much everything in my life. You know, once I get into one routine and I have to change it, it's uncomfortable, you know, to have to do something else. So yeah, I got used to being here and, but now, you know, now that we're up and running again, it's, it's, you know, it's back to the usual. <laughs> and you, I mentioned about the band itself, but what's your relationship with Steve Whiteman? Because clearly you left the band for a while and then you, you two got back together and reconstituted the the group so is it the typical band relationship or do you also have a personal friendship with him as well because it could go either way um yeah i mean all those guys are friends you know and and when we when i left in the early 90s uh it was it was more about uh the change in the music scene and uh you know Kix was on this long climb um, all the way up through Blow My Fuse, and then we hit Hotwire, and that's when the music scene changed. And I just became disillusioned because I knew that we weren't going to get any further. That was it, and we were going to start to sink after that. <laughs> so I jumped ship. Well, that's honest. Yeah, so so when, uh, you know, it was a, oh, close to 10 years went by, and um, when I finally talked to Steve again... You know, I was open to anything. I, I, I hadn't, you know, nothing against those guys at all. In fact, we're, we're still really good friends. So it worked out. And I assume you were in touch with Steve in a way, even if it was indirectly during those 10 years. But then it became a situation where you two talked about reconstituting the band. Yeah. You know, well, it's funny. I hadn't talked to him. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought maybe you had. But okay. That's a long time to go without talking. <laughs> Yeah, well, you gotta you gotta remember, you know the 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 nineties. That was like pre cell phone days. So you know you you weren't as in touch with people. It was pre internet and all that stuff. Yeah, no so, no texting, <laughs> no no right, anything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, we kind of fell out of touch for for a long time. Yeah, it's kind of hard to call him at a payphone at a club that he's performing at. So right, <laughs> or vice versa in that sense. So Kix has been around so long that you have this anniversary album, the Midnight Dynamite, and you you re-released it. It's called Midnight Dynamite Relit, and your original producer got involved, and it was remixed and remastered. And were you amazed at the difference in the quality and in the sound and in what you're hearing when that came out? Well, I mean, I like the original, but the the it almost brought it kind of brought it up to date as far as you know he took some of the effects you know those 80s style effects that were on there and and stuff like that and 
And the other thing that he did was, uh, you know, he brought out stuff that was, say, like guitar fills that had been buried, like pulled out of the mix to begin with. He'd throw a few of those back in and I, you know, I'd hear him and I'd go, oh, wow, I forgot I even played that. You know, so that <laughs> That was kind of fun, you know. <laughs> without without going too deep in the woods, was the original recording on tape, and then it had to be digitized and and then go through all the tracks at that point. Yeah, we we had the original uh, twenty four track digital, and then in Pro Tools to remix. Amazing. So, how long did the project take to get from remixing and remastering to get the new version out? Mm, you know what? I'm not really sure. Okay. Because, uh, okay. you know, I heard that he was going to do it. And then the next thing I knew, he had, he was working on it. And sure that time span really was. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't that long. Maybe a month or two, maybe. Oh, that's I'm pretty sure. good. Okay. So how many times have you been to Las Vegas as a group? Can you recall how when the first time you were here? Oh, that's a good question. We've been there several times. Sure. I just wondered if there was any particular thing that stood out in your mind about any of the performances in Las Vegas. I mentioned, of course, obviously that you're coming in to the cannery at the club at the cannery and that it is going to be on March the 12th at 8 p.m. So I just thought there might be some thing you may have remembered in the past coming in and, and the reaction, either of the crowds or just something that happened to you in Las Vegas. Uh, nothing particularly that stands out except that the crowds were always good you know it's funny you know all these years of playing i'm still amazed when the when we walk out there and there's this huge crowd i'm like i'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop for some reason i don't know why (laughs) but but you're lucky it hasn't over all these decades so that's pretty good yeah. <laughs> well, I know you were talking about when the group first started, I guess it was with Atlantic, and you had issues of management and there were other things going on where the record label really wasn't sure how to handle you or management wasn't sure how to handle you. Well, both weren't sure. And maybe you weren't even sure how to handle yourselves, but it took a while for the band to get going. Yeah. I mean, we went through... We went through so many different managers along the way, um, and that probably didn't help the relationship with the record company. And you know that was bad enough. <laughs> and then to have the management that didn't know how to deal with it, along with it, it was just not a good, not a good uh, combination. And it wasn't until uh, Blow My Fuse when we when we uh, hooked up with Mark Puma. He's the guy that sort of he had the. He knew how to do it. He had a plan, a direction, and, he, and a, re- a relationship with Atlantic. So, Well, that, that, that does help. Are you more organized now than you were in the old days? Mm. <laughs> Some areas, but not really. <laughs> You're just being Brian, that's all. <laughs> so yeah. I, I'm sure you've been asked this question a thousand times, but I've got to ask it because I don't know. How do, who came up with the name Kicks? That would have been Donnie. Um, we went through a couple of name changes leading up to the record. Um, we were originally called The Shoes, which was S-H-O-O-Z-E. And we had to change that name because there was a Midwestern band called uh, Shoes, spelled S-H-O-E-S. But they had songs on the radio. So so that was the first 
change. We, we changed it to the generators and we recorded it as the generators. But right at the, right when they were getting ready to do the artwork for the album cover, they ran that name and found out there was another band called the generators and they refused to uh, give up their name. So we had, they came down and said, they, they said, uh, we need to change the name. The, the artwork has to be submitted by 5 p.m. or it's going to delay the whole release of the record. And we were just standing there looking at each other. And Donnie goes, uh, how about if we call it Kicks and spell it K-I-X? And we all kind of just looked at each other and went, Kicks? Like, <laughs> we, we weren't even sure about that. But it was like, well, we don't have anything better. So, okay. <laughs> it sounds like a cereal, but we'll go with it. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Is there, from your experience, you're a guitarist and a great one, but how do you, when you look at the band, how important is one musician or instrument to the overall contribution as opposed to other musicians or instruments in the band? That's probably a convoluted question, but it's basically how important is the guitar player to a rock band as opposed to the drummer or other instruments? Well... I mean, it's important because it's kind of like the, the out front instrument in a rock band, but they're all just as important. I mean, if you have a crappy drummer, it's going to, it's going to mess up the whole band. <laughs> cause I mean, there's nothing like, I mean, I can even, it, it's funny cause, he, well, not funny, but Jimmy had a heart attack, um, at the end of September, this past September, and we had to do several gigs with different drummers and, even though they were good drummers, it wasn't Jimmy. And there's just there's something about that, just that subtle feel that's missing. And uh, it's like, well, Jimmy's like the engine of the band, you know? So the drummer's like the engine. And, I like that and definition. All, yeah. Yeah. And we're all like the other parts of it, of the car, you know? So, <laughs> I, yeah, to me, it's, it, it's, it's the combination of all the parts. That makes sense. How is your show structured for the... For the cannery, is it a set number of pieces that you know you're going to do, or do you improvise once you get here? How does that work from the band perspective? As far as as far as the set list you're talking about, right? Yeah, we usually have a few ideas, you know, leading up to the show, and and like Steve will send one out and, and ask what we think about it, and then if anyone has any suggestions, we'll tweak it a little bit, but. We usually have like a kind of a base, like a local set for around Maryland and Baltimore area. And then we'll have our travel set for going out of town. So, yeah, that's usually how we work. And we'll tweak a few songs here and there just to make it different. Well, that makes sense. I like the way you have the touring set different from the, the local set, but also, too, that the band collaborates even now in terms of what they want to do. I mean, Steve's sending it out, but he's sending it to yeah. all members of the band, so it makes sense. Yeah, we we let we let Steve dictate it, you know, the most most of it because he's the one who has to sing it. So, you know, yeah, that's true. It depends on how his voice. Is. True. Yeah. <laughs> is that from a singing point of view? And this may you may be the wrong person to ask, but is does does singer get thrown off too? If, the, for example the drummer is replaced or the guitar player is replaced for one night or two nights or whatever. Does that throw him off as well? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Steve. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a whole, the whole groove of the band changes. Yeah. So, you know, Steve's out there trying to move. He says, 
you know, where he's used to the way Jimmy hits a certain accent. The other guy might hit the accent, but not quite like Jimmy. And so it looks like he's out of sync, you know. What surprises me about you, because you talk about it, I've read interviews that you've done where you talked about your years with dealing with drugs, and yet you look remarkably healthy, given the fact that you had that history back several years. Yeah. Yeah, it is a miracle <laughs> that I made it through that alive. But it was, I mean, the time was, yeah, it was condensed to, well, I, throughout my career, you know, I'm a musician and a lot of times, well, most of the time, musicians, you know, you're around alcohol, there's drugs around, it, you know, it's, it's just part of the whole thing. Uh, and for me, it was kind of this long, stretched out thing. Uh, that didn't hit hard until the end of the 90s. Um, and then, like, 98, I got sober. But once I got sober, I started, you know, it caused me to really look at things. And, uh, and, and beyond my sobriety, there was also health, fitness, nutrition, and all that stuff. So I started out with the health part of it and trying to get fit. And then, then the nutrition came in later, and I, it, it's just a, an evolution. Like it, it just evolves along the way, and it's still evolving, really. But uh, yeah, I, I'm really into it. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of people that go through what you went through, but then they they don't necessarily make the decisions that you made, and they continue down that path. Or let's say they stop drugs, but they start with alcohol, or vice versa. Or else they get rid of alcohol and drugs, but they don't think about exercise and fitness and vitamins and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, I found in the early 2000s, I was just, uh, I was going crazy with the sugar and the sweets and, and all that stuff. And that, that's one of the things I started noticing, you know, people, you know, they're constantly taking photos of us playing live and, <laughs> You know, I get somebody right underneath me taking a picture and I, I just look all saggy and, and I'd realize, you know, I'd been staying at my sister's house eating all these cookies and cake and stuff. And, you know, I just, I, I've, it finally dawned on me how, how unhealthy that was. It was just as bad as the drugs, you know? So, uh, I, I kind of had to look at it like that. Like, it, like there's certain, food well i don't even you know if you can call sugar is not really a food it's a substance it's just another drug so i had to look at that you know and cut it out of my my thing <laughs> which is not easy to do especially once you're used to it i know i tried that and then it's hard you 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 get back into it you try to moderate it but it's just it's just tough to do so it's it's admirable that you're able to again get off of all that other stuff and then also decide you know what i have to get off of sugar and I have to focus on health. And do you find that you're, you're, you're touring, you're able to cope with touring because of the fact that you are fit and healthy? I think being healthy definitely, you know, helps with the touring. Uh, but, you know, I've said this before, I, I've kind of cut out for the tour. I loved it. I've, I've always loved uh, living out of a suitcase in a hotel room, driving a rent a car. I don't know. There's something about and flying and all that stuff. It's, you know, some people hate it. I love it. 
<laughs> well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Brian Damage Forsyth from Kix. The group will be performing along with Slaughter in the club at the Cannery Casino on Saturday, March 12th at 8 p.m. For ticket information, go to cannerycasino.com. And for everything about Kicks, go to kicksband.com and brianforsyth.com. And you can follow the band on Twitter at kicksTheBand, on Facebook at Official Kicks, and on Instagram at kicksband. Brian, thanks for being on the show. Yes, thanks for having me. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. When you